Book Five, Chapter Nine of Clara Vaughan, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Clara Vaughan, Volume Three, by R. D. Blackmore, Book Five, Chapter Nine. I have a faint recollection of feeling myself swung and jolted down a number of stairs and of a cold breeze striking in my face and doubtless they carried me down for the room in which i had found my enemy was two floors above the cellarage when i came to myself i had no idea where in the world i was the air was heavy with a most powerful and oppressive smell a reek and taint as of death and corruption it made me faint and i think i must have gone off again lifting my head at last i began to look languidly around the table or working bench on which i lay was near the centre of a long and narrow room gloomy and cold even in the dog days floored with moss-green stone and far below the ground level those flagstones i suppose were bedded immediately upon the tough blue london clay that most unconquerable stratum sullen damp and barren i could only see two windows in the long low room both upon the same side horizontally fixed and several feet from the floor heavy iron bars perpendicularly set crossed them at narrow intervals as if it had been the condemned cell in a prison one of these windows was already darkened with a truss of straw and sacks over it placed outside the glass as is done in corsica during vendetta siege the technical term is en sepper les fenestres through the other window which looked up a slide or scoop of brickwork like a malt shovel to the flabby garden behind the house i saw an arm the colour and shape of an american herring very active with a hammer i knew that arm at once striking out at the joints like the spurs of a pear tree welted and wired with muscle between them like the drumstick of a turkey but flat as if plated of hide no friend of mine could claim it except the corsican cora deliberately she drove the nails like a gardener training a tree paying undue attention to her skinny knuckles then she lifted the sacks stooped down and looked in grimly reconnoitering me by the slanting light i saw what a horrible place i lay in around and under me on the furrowed timber were dull plum-coloured blotches where the slowly trickling blood of many an unlucky dog and cat had curdled even if there were not any shed from nobler veins reaching in a backhanded way towards the jagged margin i grasped a cold hard cylinder it was an iron holdfast like but larger than the instrument to be seen in every carpenter's bench which works in a collared hole and has a claw for clutching under it no doubt many a poor live victim had quivered and sobbed in vain at my head were two square slides fitted with straps of stout unyielding web near them was a rasped iron plane working along a metal bed or groove with a solid tea-piece and a winch to adjust it as with morbid observation i surveyed these fiendish devices and many others which i cannot stop to tell of i who love almost every creature made by our own maker especially those to whom we are lent as gods my flesh i say began to creep and my blood to curdle as if the dissecting knife were already in my diaphragm surely those who in full manhood torture his innocent creatures poor things that cannot plead or weep but worship the foot that kicks them surely these if any 
we may without presumption say that he who made will judge four brief lines by a modern poet too well known for me to quote them express a grand and simple truth seldom denied more seldom felt but here am i laid out in this fearful place perhaps myself a subject for a vivisection no i am not strapped even my feet are free off the grouted and grimy table i roll with all possible speed the table where even strong judy must have lain still as a skeleton of skeletons there were plenty ranged around the walls and other hideous things which i cannot bear to think of one was a monstrous crocodile with scales like a shed fir cone all reflexed and dry and ringent lips of leather and teeth that seemed to look the wrong way like a daisy rake overworked another was some pulled-out beast that never could hit his own joints again plesiosauri dinosauri marsupials proboscideans i am sure i cannot tell having never been at college i only know that at every one of them i shuddered and shrugged my shoulders and wished that he smelled rather nicer then there were numbers of things always going up and down in stuff like clarified syrup according to the change of temperature just as leeches do in a pickle bottle snakes as well and other reptiles streaked like sticks of peppermint and centipedes and rio wigglers called i think lacroix it was enough in that vault-like room which felt like the scooping of an august iceberg it was more than enough to strike a chill to the marrow as of one who sleeps in a bed newly brought from the cellar but the worst and most horrible thing of all was the core and nucleus of the smell that might be felt the half-dissected body of a porpoise leaning on a dozen stout cross-poles it was enough to make the blood of a dog run cold overpowered by sights and smells and the fear of mingling with them i huddled away in a corner and tried in vain to take my eyes from the only sign of life yet left the motion of cora's club-like arm the poor old woman enjoyed my interest in her work and when she had finished she made me a mock salaam and kissed the pixie's heart then with a grin she dropped the rough hangings and left me in ghastly twilight as the sacks fell over the window-frame i lost all presence of mind all honest indignation everything but a coward horror and the shrinking of life from death with all the strength of my chest and throat i cast forth as a cannon discharges one long volleyed agonizing shriek as it rang among the skeletons and rattled their tissueless joints a small square grating in the upper panel of the heavy door swung back and in the opening appeared the face of lepardo della croce he lifted his hat with a pleasant air and addressed me with a smile ah now this i call a pity a great pity indeed miss vaughan but that i always fear the imputation of pedantry i should call it a bathos you can hardly be aware that since you made that dreadful noise you have fallen in my opinion from a portia or an area to the common maid marian fie fie it is too disappointing it saps one's candid faith in the nobility of human nature but as i can no longer appeal to your courage or spirit i must it appears address myself to your reason if as i am fain to hope your nerves have not impaired it be assured then once for all that it is a vulgar error to exert your sweet voice in so high a key my little dissecting theatre though not so perfect as i could wish particularly in ventilation 
is nevertheless so secured from erroneous plebeian sympathy that all the cats in london might squall away their fabulous nine lives without affecting the tea and muffins of the excellent old ladies who live on either side of us that noble tabby on the third shelf right was a household god at number thirty nine until he had the honour of attracting my attention breathe not a word about him if you ever come out twice a day i sent to inquire with my kindest compliments whether poor miss jenkinson had recovered her darling cat meanwhile by inanition scientifically graduated i succeeded in absorbing his adipose deposit and found him one of the kindest subjects i have had the pleasure of manipulating be not alarmed miss vaughan i have no intention of starving you neither if you behave with courtesy will i even dissect you i only mention these little facts to convince you of our pleasing retirement the ceiling of your room is six feet below the level of the street the walls are three feet thick and felted and the bricks set all as headers which makes a great difference in conducting power the windows as perhaps you have already observed are secluded from vulgar eyes and command a very partial view of our own little eden moreover if by exerting your nobly developed chest to an extent which for your sake i affectionately deprecate you even succeeded at last in producing an undulation do you remember my lecture upon the conflicting theories of sound or a vibration in the tympanum of a neighbour i fear you would be regarded it shocks me greatly to think of it as a cat of rare vocal power unduly agitated by my feeble pursuit of science therefore let me conclude my friendly counsel in the language of all your theatres ah you have no drama now in this country such poverty of invention but in the words which i regret to say appear from six to a dozen times in every british tragedy miss vaughan be calm through all this brutal sneering i stood resolutely with my back turned to him perhaps he thought that i would stoop to supplication i could have bitten my tongue off for that contemptible shriek it was such a triumph to him ah sulky i fear young lady sulky with the poor professor who tries to develop her mind fie fie very small and ungrateful and not half so grand a study as the attitude of contempt what a pity poor conrad was not present an hour ago how he might have enriched his little book of schemata several most magnificent poses but i fear the poor fellow has taken his last chip a sad thing was it not why how you start miss vaughan oh you can show your face at last and how pale well if eyes could only kill what is it i mean be good enough just to go away to be sure i will i have a little matter on hand which must not be delayed to leave my carte de visite upon the right man this time i cannot sufficiently thank you for your invaluable information is that snug little entrance practicable still very hospitable people they used to be at von park fare you well young lady i will not keep you in any unnecessary suspense after my return i shall arrange for your release if it can be made compatible with my safety you will have plenty of food and much time for meditation let your thoughts of me be liberal and kindly i never injure any one when i can avoid it i only regret that the air you breathe will impair for the while your roses but what an opportunity of analyzing the gases carbonic acid predominant 
do you gratify me by bearing in mind a lecture at which you were very attentive on malaria and miasma taunting to the last and sneering even at himself as men of the blackest dye of wickedness are very apt to do he closed the grating carefully and i heard the ring of the metal cross on the rough stone steps he had the boots of revenge on his errand was stealthy and cold-blooded murder me who had never harmed him he was abandoning perhaps to death certainly to madness and yet to his own idea all he was doing was right frantic at the horrors around me and still more so at those impending through my own rash folly i tore and scratched at the solid door and flung myself against it till my nails were broken and my fingers bleeding and all my body palpitating with impotent mad fury in weariness at last and shame at this wild outburst i sat upon the floor for i could not touch the operator's stool and tried to collect my thoughts was there any possibility of saving my poor uncle it must now be nearly four o'clock on the friday afternoon or at least i so computed it the beautiful watch given me by my uncle had stopped through my reckless violence and the breaking of the glass the hands as i could barely perceive stood at a quarter to four the express train by which mrs fletcher and i were to have returned would leave paddington at five p m and reach gloucester soon after eight lepardo della croce would catch it easily and perhaps would accomplish his foul design that night my only hope of preventing him lay in his own tenacity of usage from my uncle's account i knew that on their cursed vendetta enterprises a certain pilgrimage on foot is in many families regarded as a matter of honour this usage owes its origin perhaps to some faint trace of mercy some wish to afford the evil passions one more chance of relenting to the milder reflections of weariness and the influence of the air be that as it may i believed that the custom was hereditary in the della croce family and if so the enemy would finish his journey on foot quitting the train some distance on this side of gloucester therefore if i could contrive to escape in the course of the night i might yet be in time all the rest of the daylight such as it was i spent in examining inch by inch every part of the loathsome chamber which was now my dungeon by this time all my patience habitual more than natural had returned and all my really inborn determination and hope surely i had been every bit as badly off before and had struggled through quite as hopeless a difficulty if arduous courage and tough perseverance were of any avail those four walls should not hold me though they might be three feet thick so stopping both my nostrils with cotton wool from a specimen for the smell was most insufferable and pinning up my dress i set to work in earnest first i examined the windows there was nothing to hope from them i could never loosen a bar and even if i could i should only escape from one prison to another for the garden behind the house was surrounded with high dead walls fireplace there was none the door had already baffled me could i dig through the party wall and into the adjoining house most likely it was all a falsehood and boast about the thickness intended perhaps to discourage me from attempting the easiest way and in so damp a place the mortar probably would be soft so after searching and groping ever so long to find if possible one loose brick to begin with i drew from my pocket a knife of which i was very proud 
because my father had given it me, and I looked at it wistfully in the dusk, because I feared so to break it. Nothing but the thought that life itself was at stake would ever have induced me to use that beloved knife for work so very unsuitable. It was a knife of strong but by no means elegant make, shorter in the handle and squarer in the joints than the rising generation of knives. Very likely Sheffield of the present day would laugh at it, but like most who laugh it could not produce the fellow. My father himself had owned it for nearly thirty years, and had treated it with the high respect which an honest knife deserves. From this due regard his daughter had not derogated, and the knife was now as good as when it left the maker's hand. It had never been honed in utter ignorance of proper plane and angle, as nearly all knives are, and by none so often as the professional knife-grinder. I never dared to meddle with it, except on a very mild razor-strap and all it was allowed to do was to mend my pens. I, Clara Vaughan, hate steel-paper stabbers, and sometimes to cut my pencils. Now this true and worshipful knife was to cut bricks and mortar. In my natural affection for it I hesitated and trembled, and knowing what was to come it closed upon my fingers. Oh, ruthful Adonavia! Trusty knife, fall to! Meanwhile old Cora showed at the heavy grating her countenance demiss. To all my eager adjurations, promises, and prayers, she answered not a word, but grimly smiled, like an ancient bird, beyond the reach of chaff. She handed me in a pint of milk, and a loaf of the variety termed in London a twopenny brick. A red herring on the toasting-fork, dripping with its own unction, was hastily shown and then withdrawn and the gordit appeared in its stead, which being done, the experienced dame winked and regarded me deeply. This meant, surrender your legal right in Our Lady's heart, without which I shall have no luck, and I will give you this beautiful fish, hard road and done to a nicety. Ah, no, sweet Cora, a good red herring is not to be despised. But who could eat in a reeking hole like this? Once I went, for Judy's sake, being rash, and light of step, into the back premises of a highly respectable butcher. Woe is me! What I saw and smelled there was muscat grapes compared to this. When Cora had departed, after handing me in a pillow and a blanket of the true workhouse texture, and crossing herself with a strange expression, meaning, as I interpreted, now keep alive if possible till breakfast-time, young woman, I sat me down upon the floor at one end of the room, and began my labors. First I put on a pair of tan leather gloves, for small as my vanity is, I do not like my hands to look altogether like a hodman's. Then I removed a strip of the felt with which the wall was covered. It was nearly dark, but I could easily feel the joints between the bricks. The mortar was not very good, but my work was rendered doubly difficult by the bricks being all set crosswise to the line of the wall. This, I suppose, is what he meant when he described them as headers. By reason of this arrangement I had to dig and dig for hours before I could loosen a single brick, and working all in the dark as I was. I feared every moment to break the stick-blade of my knife. The fingers of my gloves were very soon worn away, and even the palm, where the heel of the knife was chafing. Nor was it long before my skin was full of wheels and raspy, like the knobs I have seen inside the legs of a horse. At last, to my wonderful delight, one brick began to tremble. In another half-hour I eased it out most carefully. 
kissed my trusty blade now worn almost to a skewer and with stiff and aching muscles and the trophy brick upon my lap fell off into as sound a sleep as ever i was blessed with end of book five chapter nine